G'day everyone. Welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you for joining me again. And as always, we're going to take a deeper dive into the world of leadership and what that means for people. And my guest today is a high-performance mindset coach, and she is the founder of Mindset for Success. Can I welcome to the podcast, Mandy Napier. How are you, man? Hey, really good, thanks. And I've been really looking forward to this as well since I was on the panel the other day. Super excited. Cross paths, so to speak, on two different panel sessions and all of those people in those panel sessions, I've done one-on-one podcast interviews for the Talking Leadership series. So now we can finally have a, our own um, deep dive into what this thing of leadership is, but from your experience, which is why I'm looking forward to having this conversation with mm. you. So let's get things started at the start, uh, I guess. Your leadership and its beginnings, can you walk us through that before we kick off with the other areas, mate? Yeah, sure. I thought that was a really fascinating question because I'll be really honest, I never had any leadership training throughout my whole career. And I think my beginning started as a kid. I was an adventurer. I was into sports. I was exceptionally stubborn and I didn't want to do what everyone else wanted me to do. And I believe those traits with curiosity and adventure pushing myself in my sports and to compete and wanting to live my own path and do my own thing were absolutely key in my later journey of leadership rather than any, you know, formal training. And I think my travels around the world were some of my best leadership beginnings. When you did meet people, maybe ask you to do a bit of um, hindcasting here if I can, when you met people that you would deem to be effective, good leaders, did they have a set of common traits that you went, yeah, this is common across them or was it all very individualistic case by case when you met these people? Um, I think there's something that every leader has that it's very hard to put in words and it's almost like a magnetism. They have this energy about them. And and I know when I travelled, I didn't know what it was, but it was their presence. It was what they said, how they said it, and the actions that they took. And I guess reflecting on on my journey, um, my, I guess, traits that I got from my journey was that I had a solution-focused mindset. There's always a way. That's been something with me forever. Um, Never, ever quit. Be open to what else is out there be open to other people's beliefs and what they have to say and listen to other people and just keep going and I think those traits are what all great leaders have along with the most fundamental thing which is a desire to improve and to learn and while we like to think that most people want to improve and learn not everybody does because you know being creatures of habit we tend to fall back into what is familiar So to want to learn and grow, you have to get uncomfortable. And it's not comfortable getting uncomfortable. Um, So I think the curiosity I had to explore, um, I hitched on a lot of um, through Africa on my own and, you know, did a lot of adventures on my own. You have to believe in yourself and you have to have um, that trust factor within yourself. And that helps you build confidence and certainty. And then that exudes out to other people. Do you think you're a risk taker? I used to be, but in those days, I didn't take it as a risk. Um, I thought it was a very calculated risk. 
like people said to me, how did you ever hitch through Africa on your own as a female? Well, now I look back and I'm like, oh, stupid, I wouldn't do that now. Yet as I look back on that journey, there weren't many other options for getting from, I think I wanted to get from Arusha down to um, Malawi or Zambia, and there weren't many other options but hitching. And I was very, very careful about the rides I took. I never got in a vehicle if there were, you know, a group of men in the car. And you you have to rely on yourself, this little intuition of, and making a decision. But I felt that it was quite calculated and quite informed. So I don't think I was a great risk taker. Calculated risk, I think, would be when I weighed up all the options. Yeah, it's very familiar. I get similar responses when I've spoken to entrepreneurs that I've that have given me their time to talk on the podcast. It's um, what's that word? You you make a guesstimate. You you do your best with the info that you've got, and it's it's uh, not a full not a full stab of the dark. It's sort of almost like it's not a gamble, is what you're saying. That there is calculated risks. Yeah. Interesting. I, I would have. I would ask you the following, if I could. Why do you think your appetite for that changed over time? Was it was it family? Was it career? What was there a trigger that made you go, yeah, I can't be the same kind of risk taker that I used to be, or was it just a product of just maturing and having different uh, priorities as as you got older? Yeah, I, th- I think it was partly that. I mean, most of my travels that I did, I spent about seven years bumbling around the world and working. And it was the best experience I've ever had in my life. Yet when you're in your 20s, you feel that you've got lots of time to do everything. And, you know, I had different priorities and a focus thing. When I got into the working world, your priorities changed. I ended up buying a unit in London, which I left behind and came to Australia. And then I got married. And, and your focuses change. So even though I've had quite a lot of adventures since, and I, I, I used to be in the travel industry, so fortunately I still travelled, I think we see more about what happens in life. I mean, I didn't know much about AIDS when I first went to Africa, which people would ask me about. But now, you know, when, when it was in its peak, we, we learnt a lot more about it. And when you learn more and you hear more and you're open to everybody's experiences and negative experiences of the world, it does taint you a bit. You possibly get a little wiser and you think, well, it might have been all right to hitch when I was in my 20s through Africa, but perhaps today it's not such a great idea, although I'm sure there are still people that do that. So it's a combination of everything. It's it's your life changes. You get a little bit older, so you read more, you hear more stories of things that have happened to people, and you don't necessarily say, oh, I better not do that. But you, all these things add to the factors that you make that final decision with as to shall I do this or not. So help us out a little bit here, Mandy. What what's your definition of leadership? My definition of leadership. I haven't got it into a succinct one. Um, but it's the ability to influence, impact and inspire others so that they feel empowered and engaged and cared for to perform optimally for the joint outcomes of the team or the company. And within that, the leader has to have worked on themselves. They have to have a great level of awareness and they must listen, they must care and they must respect other people. Have that human element especially today. Do you believe that when you talk about empowering others and about trying to reach a shared goal, whatever that goal might look like, that there is a level of being of service to others is a key part of that, that leadership is not about the you, it's about the group? Does that does that resonate with you? Am I on the right track there? 
Absolutely. And I, I think um, and I was writing something about this the other week and it's like um, leaders have to look after the tribe, not, you know, not take for oneself. So it's all about looking after a tribe. And we all hear about you, know, you must have empathy. But to have empathy, you have to get to know who you are, what you stand for and what is important. So once you've focused inward and you've got that greater level of self-mastery and self-awareness, you can then ripple out to uh, a wider impact. And that's where I believe that that, um, good leaders stem from. And just on the the empathy and and the heart of a leader, um, excuse me, um, I've um, studied, it's just an offshoot of of my original trainings, M-braining, which is um, really going into techniques and tools about our three intelligences that we have a head, heart, and gut. And interestingly, my studies um, originated from the I Ching, right, in China. And and the heart is the emperor. And the emperor is the most important person. And part of their mission was to actually care and listen to other people, you know, in in days gone by. And the head is the um, governor. So the governor rules. And in old leadership, it used to be very much ruling by fear you will do what I say but today it's the leader that can lead with their heart first which is how it works in in Chinese ancient philosophy and then the third intelligence is the gut which is the general the general mobilizes the troops and gets into action so whereas fear used to be one of the models very much today it's people have to lead from their heart they have to care about others and put the focus outwards, but you can only do that when you've worked on yourself first. You deal with a lot of leaders and you help people in leadership roles as opposed to you doing that on a daily basis yourself. Now, yes, you run your business, but you're out doing the doing of helping leaders. And I get the sense from talking to in previous conversations that you've got no problem expressing what you're thinking, why you're thinking it, and a very good rationale for where you're coming from. But I've met a lot of leaders that don't do that shit very well. It, they don't. And and I don't think it's, and, and, and don't get me wrong, and I've, I've said this before, and I have to re-clarify, I'm not talking that people have got hate in their heart when they don't know how to do this. I think if you don't know how to do something, you just don't know how to do it. And being able to connect to your best self and express that outward, I think is a very difficult thing to do. And I think human beings get better at it as you mature. I think I think personally, I've gotten better at it as my sons have grown. You know, I love my kids like all parents love their kids, but you learn things about being empathic and being about others when you've been in an experience like a parent. But you can be a carer, you can be caring for animals. It's the same thing about making yourself available to someone else without strings attached. And I think when you talk about leadership, some leaders I've met don't know how to make that disconnect and take the risk of making themselves be vulnerable. I don't mean vulnerable as in, hey, I'm vulnerable physically. It's more that uh, the emotional vulnerability, I think, when you're talking about vulnerability and leadership. And there's always a risk there. So without giving away your trade secrets, and that's not what the podcast is about, how do you get someone to let go of the ego a little bit and take that risk as a leader? Well, I think the first step is people have to recognise that they want to improve. And most people know the areas that they are weaker in, you know, 
very few of my clients, and this includes all the high achievers I work with, they can all give me their weaknesses, but they often can't actually give me more, more of their strengths. So while we focus very much on looking at their strengths, we always do some work on our emotions and feelings because everything in life comes from what we think and the end result of a thought is a feeling. So when we have mastery over our mental state and our emotional um, mastery, they are the keys for everything in life. Our behaviors follow. So I think a few years ago, you know, emotional intelligence is a really big word that's that's used a lot in, in leadership and businesses. But really, it's just understanding yourself first. Very few people can name many of their emotions. They can often name the, the negative ones, but not the positive ones. And most people don't know where they would feel them in their body. So sometimes it's as simple as getting people to extend their vocabulary around feelings and emotions. You know, what is the difference between a feeling and emotion? And then um, understanding the, the different vocabulary. It's exactly the same if somebody wants to improve their financial knowledge and investments, they read more. So when you start to read about it, and I always ask questions that get people to look at things differently, that's when the gold starts to come. It has to start with ourselves first. And, and from my perspective, you know, just going back to where I started, I've been fascinated all my life with humans and behaviour. Why are some people successful? Why are the people I met in Africa that had nothing so happy, yet the people that work for the World Bank, UNESCO, the Red Cross, who I hitched rides with, were all stressed and unhappy? And, and that's been my drive. So with that drive, you want to explore yourself. But it was a very difficult journey for me to go inwards and look at myself and who I was because I was a you know, an adventurer, I was a sports girl, and you just went and did things and you gritted through it. But it was only when everything came tumbling in my life that I went, I created this, I have to find a way to discreate it, and no one could help me get better and heal myself. And that's when I went on my journey of digging into who I was at the very core. It was the most difficult thing I did, yet it was the most rewarding. And I think because I've been in that situation, it's 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 much easier for me to have empathy especially for a lot of my male clients who really don't want to get into the emotional stuff. I, I totally get where they're coming from, yet we have to be brave to dig down that little bit deeper into us. Otherwise, how can we be our best to others? I mean, we can't. Let me ask you something, Mandy. Now, I know you deal with people that are, are, are decision makers. So being a leader, you, you're making decisions on a regular basis, some minor everyday things and some very major decisions didn't coin the term myself, nor do I claim ownership of it, but this idea of a lonely road of leadership, do you think that actually exists or is it as lonely as people make it? That, that's an interesting question. I looked at that earlier and I went, I'm quite good at seeing different sides to things. And what you just said, is it what people make it or as lonely as people make it? Yes and no. See, I've worked with um, clients that have been in really big corporate worlds, big mining companies. And the reason it can be lonely in there is if the people above them, the leaders above them, are not leading effectively. You know, someone mentioned absent leaders. I call them ineffective leaders. If they're not doing their job and being a good leader to the leaders, that's when it can be a really lonely road. And, and I've worked with people who finally and ultimately left because the, their values and what drives them are so out of whack with the people at the top, the ineffective leaders, that they just couldn't stay there any longer. 
and then yeah but I, I also believe on on the lonely road of or lonely path of leaders every leader every human needs a mentor or a coach or somebody who champions them because as humans we fall back to what's familiar we are creatures of habit and we cannot see ourselves the same as other people. So if you take all that into account, even the very best leader is going to miss things because of our natural tendency to fall back into our familiar ways of thinking, of the strategies that we do, of our behaviours and how we, we respond or react to people. So unless we have somebody else shining the light on us so that we can be self-reflective and be open to feedback and improve, um, that it, it can be a lonely leader when they won't let somebody in in their lives. That's when it can also be lonely um, and it might need connecting with people outside of your industry. You know, I've had people that actually pay for their coaching with me separate to their company, even if when their company would pay. They want to do it for them. It's their investment to themselves, their gift, because they know that they're totally committed and they don't want any part of that, you know, to be attributed to their company, which is, you know, interesting. Celebrating success. Now, I've, I've called this topic area measuring success, but I might, might shift the topic area just a little because you very clearly you've dealt with leaders at different levels and have very different motivations for wanting you to help them in a coaching sense or a, a teaching sense how have you seen them celebrate success that that's part one of the question and part two how does mandy napier celebrate success and i'm talking about it in, in the business context what does that look like that's an interesting one asking me let me go back to the leaders that i work with it's really interesting Many people that I've worked with, I haven't got a statistic, I'm sure I could make one or find one. Many of the people I work with who are driven, high achievers, high performers, forget to stop and celebrate their achievements. And I've done, I've done that in my past, right, done that, tick it off what's next. So what that means is they tend to be really hard on themselves and unkind and feel that they're ne never quite there yet which is a massive problem, or, or it can be, because it creates a lot of inner stress. So the first thing when it comes to celebrating successes that I often have to coach so many people on is tick off your small wins and stop and acknowledge your successes. And when you have a, a great celebration in your head, it does two things. Your brain sends you a you know, happy chemical, which makes you feel better, but it then motivates you to keep going, and it builds your level of confidence, worth, and and leadership capabilities and very few people do that so I think I mentioned on one of our chats you know I have these two lenses that leaders must have one is kindness and that starts with ourselves. so the simple act of acknowledging our successes and there are many ways that, that people you know celebrate their successes but the one thing that I endorse which is a little bit different on the successes is yes mark your wins off every day you know look for the small things because when we look for the small things, we're training our mind to look for the things we normally miss. And that's where the gold is. That's a really good skill to do. And number two is we all know about being grateful and gratitude. Stop for a moment and appreciate yourself for what qualities and traits will you have by achieving that big or small win. Then you're turning the lens inwards and you're doubling your sense of self-worth and achievement. Because most people I work with are not 
what you'd call big headed or have big egos most of them have a little bit of imposter syndrome from time to time or not good enough so celebrating successes is massive now your next part of the question is how do I celebrate my successes? Well, I'm often seen around my house when I have a win, however big or small, I quite often literally pump my arms in the air, go, yay, go me, I'm awesome. Now, it doesn't mean I go around outside and do that. I'm a very private person, but I do that on purpose. And I also do it if I have a loss sometimes, because then you're not driven, because I used to be in sales, you know, by the highs and the lows, because we know that when people have a great success, They'll feel awesome. And when they have a loss, they'll feel awful. So I tend to do that strategy for both to even it out. And in my life to celebrate my successes, um, very simple. I will take time out in nature, go to the swim, go down to the beach. Those are, those are how I like to reward myself, maybe going out for lunch with my husband. I'm not a shopper. I'm not driven by buying many things. Occasionally I do, but that doesn't. That mean, it's connections and experiences that, give me meaning and, and purpose so they what I generally do win with career is different to wins in other other parts of your life but definitely from a work perspective I I need to debrief and I usually do that with my wife and she does the same with me in previous discussions Mandy you've talked about what you believe critical leader capabilities are but again if you had a, a top three not for not for other leaders, but for you, what are the top three three things that you would identify in yourself are the most critical leader capabilities for you? Oh, for me, well, you mean in me or what in I you, in you. In yeah. me? Okay, cool. So I would say the the first one is to be non-judgmental. I really keep an open slather and I do my best to clean my mind literally. So I bring none of my biases and my beliefs into the conversation. I think that is a really important skill, especially in my work. But I also know that skill that I have has been a great benefit to my clients because I hear it all the time. You never judge me. So I always do my best because I used to be, you know, quite a, probably more judgmental when I was when I was a young teenager and a little bit my way or no one else's way. So that non-judgmental and that includes respecting other people's model of the world. I often say I don't understand what you've been through just because I haven't been through this situation, but I can listen, show empathy and respect by listening and being a reflective listener, you know, asking questions and just sitting in that space, literally from the heart where I'm open and listening. So that non-judgment would be the first one. The second one would have to be a drive and a desire to continually improve. And not only does that, you know, reflecting, looking back at what I've done and seeing how I could do it better, it also includes, you know, the desire to grow and learn. And that means you have to be open for feedback. And we, you know, not everyone can take feedback, but we must be open to feedback. And included in that one, I'm sneaking in a few here, aren't I, is curiosity. So that comes with that mindset of, of having a curious mindset. And I think the other one that's possibly slightly different is is being humble and having humility. And I think Buddha says it quite well, like the beginner's mindset, you know, enter each day with a beginner's mindset 
that's empty or beginner's mind so that you can listen and absorb other people's information because if we're too opinionated or fixed in our beliefs and we all are to some extent we can't we, we're not open for learning and we miss so much so what was that that was the non-judgmental improving a desire to improve which includes curiosity and then humility I'm sure there are more than just three that there's no definitive list here and that's one of the one of the things I've had to accept and I, I like things to be neat and tidy and unfortunately with leadership it's it's an amorphous space and you have to get used to things changing and acceptance that my definition may not be someone else's definition is is okay it depends where sorry it depends what leadership role you have it's such a broad word you know a leader in a government organization is different to a ceo with you know x number of leaders to what i do but the other thing i'm going to just pop this one in if i may is especially now leaders have to get into the mindset of their staff which means they've got to understand what drives them they've got to show them that they care that they're listening and they are adaptable for their needs. I was reading something today. I think it was the Bank of America. None of their staff wanted to come back to the office. And in the end, they they said, you know, we have to find a reason and make it fun and engaging and a reason why for them to come back. And if you don't do that, you're just going to have unhappy staff. And it's also understanding what drives them. So that if they want to work two days a week from home or they really want to visit their family overseas and do their work from there, in some companies, maybe that is possible. So that's important today too, more than ever before, I think. Yeah, and you brought that up and a couple of other uh, podcast guests in, in the ones that we recorded recently brought that up about being more aware or more cognizant of, of the of the staff that you've got in your team issues. That's that's an area I'm going to explore a little bit more about. Um, I think Catherine Walsh brought it up about uh, followership, about the people that you're leading. Because if you've got no one with you, if you're a, a company of one, then you're not leading. Here's the next topic area. The nature versus nurture question, Mandy. Are leaders born or are they made? I think it's a combination of both. I think some people are natural born leaders and some people go into leadership by default. I stumbled into leadership personally and I didn't know I was a good leader because I've never had any training until I look back at my result um, and I had you know great staff um, and I realized that all my experiences in life had helped me be a great a great leader however we can always learn how to be a better leader you know there are reluctant leaders but I think any leader well I don't know the new leader would want to be there for a purpose and a mission and to serve not just an altruistic reason and then that means they would always be wanting to improve their leadership skills because there's always an area that we can grow. So it goes with, with both. And, and actually led me to, on this question, I found an article I wrote a while ago and it was about the, what was it? The Lewin's equation. Um, let me see if I can find what it was. It holds the key to how do we change behaviours. And he was one of the first psychologists to propose that the development of an individual was the product of the interaction between inborn predispositions, nature, and life experiences of nurture. So it is a combination. And the equation I created, which came from his, is really that um, your behavior is a function of yourself and the environment. 
So a great leader needs to understand that both those equations, they must work on them, but leaders can be not so effective when the environment is not set up for them, which could be moving distractions or open plant offices can be horrendous. Can't disagree. I'm, I'm like you. I'm a, I'm a fence sitter. I think it's a bit of both. I think we've all met people that have got innate are innately good at the leadership leadership practice is what I'm trying to get out there. And there are some that develop into amazing leaders because they want to learn the uh, the craft that is being a good effective leader over time. And everyone's met these people and. I think that the best of those are ones that are made that have gone through the hard slog. They're the ones that least look for external validation of what they do. So the best leaders that I that I know that I've met are humble in what they do. And if they get praised, they're very uh, self-deprecating. They, they, hey, you know, it's what I do. But in your heart, you know that uh, their teams would jump on a grenade if they had to to protect them because they're very good at what they do. And I think what what strikes me as interesting is when you meet teams and you get a sense of what the leader is like, you can take the temperature of the culture of a place by the people. So I won't mention a name here, but there there's someone that I knew going way back who is an entrepreneur in every sense of that word. And I happened to catch up with this person for a bit of a meet and greet, uh, catching up on lots of different things. And I happened to be where this individual does their work. And I met their team early morning before the day kicked off. I would have been there maybe just on the start of a day. As soon as I walked in that room, I thought I would love to bloody work here. Immediately, you got the sense of this would be an awesome place to work. They didn't say anything to me. I just saw the way they were interacting in their environment. And that was one of a few times in my professional life where I, I sort of got the vibe, so to speak, by walking into a, a physical room that I went, oh, shit, the people that are here really, really, really like being here. And it was a palpable, I, ca- I can't explain it. it there's no mm-hmm. science behind what I felt, but that's what I felt. And as I got to talking to this individual, I could understand why people working for this person would want to be there. And so, yeah, it, it's interesting and for those listening, it, you can test the test for this is not in your own workplace. I think there's a, there's always a bias there. But if you walk into another person's workplace, you get a feel for the joint very quickly if people aren't happy. Mandy, this has been an amazing chat. Now, last question for you. Looking back on your leadership pathway, I, I know you said you, you were um, not a reluctant leader, but you, leadership was something that potentially was thrust upon you. Looking back, at a younger version of yourself, what would you say to a younger Mandy Napier about being a more effective leader? I would say be open, don't judge, listen carefully. That's why you have two ears and one mouth and come from a place of respect and your heart. Be kind and always seek to do your best. Very nice way to to end the podcast. But before we go, I'd like to give you an opportunity to plug what it is that you, you do in your consultancy in your business mandy so can you give us a bit of a rundown as to what you do in terms of coaching that high performance mindset work that you do for the listeners and i'll I'll put some links in the podcast description to you on your linkedin profile and your um your work uh your business links there so over to you mate good thanks well i guess the whole purpose of my work is to help people get the results that they want become the very best human being and that is by helping them with processes and techniques so that they can see their blind spots. 
everything is energy. So one of my, my magic powers is I can help people change. Let's say they get stressed or they get anxious or they've got a perfectionism pattern or they've got a belief that's playing out in the background. That's my, my superpowers. I can help them transform the energy of their old patterns, 100% transform it into something powerful and positive. So much so that I actually guarantee I put results on my work. So I have, it might be 12 weeks, six months is one of my average programs. And I'll take a committed leader, business owner. I also work with athletes who know that they want to perform better. And they probably know that they're the thing that's holding themselves back because we usually do. Um, we work very much on mental mastery, emotional mastery and habits of thought and feeling and habits of action and routines and a high level of accountability and support there. So um, you can check me out on my website. It's mindsetforsuccess.com.au. And I've also got some free tools, like Mindset Essentials Kit that I've put together out of my hundreds of tools. So I've been in my business for over 14 years now to help people get started so that they can understand how you can build more confidence just like that or how you can take that annoying little voice out of your head and many, many other techniques. Thank you for that. For those listening, this has been the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us today and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.